Is your phone silenced? I'm silenced right now. I'm just trying to tune in. Tune in myself to you, the audience. You know, things have been kind of busy around here lately at Northern Seminary, especially you. You've been really amped up, all wigged out. I'm so busy. <laughs> and it seems like we don't even have time to go to the bathroom anymore to get down here to do this podcast. Dude, there's always time for going to the bathroom. I noticed, you got to make time for going to the bathroom. Yeah, I, noticed, I noticed you made time to go to the bathroom here because uh, we started about five minutes late. But anyways, I'm just <laughs> so grateful that you... Within your the wisdom that God has given you has provided time to do another podcast, Theology on Mission podcast. Not to be confused with Theology and Mission here at uh, Northern Seminary. What have we got coming up on Theology and Mission lectureship? We do have a Theology and Mission. Lecture. By the way, you oh my speaker just fell. Oh, I'll cover for you while you plug that back in. Ladies and gentlemen, what we have is a malfunction of uh, operations here in equipment. Host Claus evidently didn't uh, get his mic properly affixed to the desk area here, and it's still not happening. My goodness. You need me to come over there and help you, Host Claw. <laughs> no one can hear you. Okay. Talk about the Theology, theology and Mission Lectureship. Theology and Mission Lectureship is coming up. Is it June 8th and 9th? 7th and 8th, Soon Chan Ra is coming to deliver us a lecture on lament as a practice, not just an idea, not just a concept, but as a practice of mission. How do you as a pastor, a leader, lead your church to become present through the practice of lament to the struggles and histories and injustices so that forgiveness, reconciliation can take place in a way can be made to discern the future. That's uh, Theology and Mission Lectureship, June 8th and 9th? No, 7th and 8th. Okay, we have a second lecture that attached. kind of proceeds on that, the future of evangelicalism, if we can call it that, or a new evangelicalism, or where do we go from here with so much of the problematics of the church in the United States of America. Folks, you don't want to miss this, do you, Hoseclaw? No, you don't want to miss it. We'll put the, the link in the show notes Otherwise, it's seminary.edu slash on mission 18. That's theology on no. mission year 18. You did on theology mission. on mission? It's theology It's and. just called just the website, man. This is marketing. You don't know anything about it. The website URL <sighs> is seminary.edu on mission 18. And it Folks. is the theology and mission lectureships <laughs> that we're talking about on the theology on mission podcast okay we got it about that? got it folks okay, my, i don't know if you noticed but hostclaw was getting a little bit arrogant there people are saying all across the country as they write in fitch is the one who needs to shut up okay all across the country on all the itunes reviews all I'm 10 people who listen to our podcast notice i've moved it up from all three people to all 10 people speaking of which if you are interested in either uh substantiating or rebuting dave's uh uh claim there that all the country, please do uh, give us a review. But we've gone on long enough. This is three minutes and 45 seconds. We haven't even brought up what the heck we're talking about today. We're talking about the feminization of the church, question mark or exclamation point. Uh, I wanted to call this the masculines and a <laughs> You can't Whatever, even can't say, say it, it, dude. Whatever it means to masculinize the church. So the feminization of the church, there's been stuff going around. Um, uh, uh, 
Merritt, Jonathan Merritt just kind of tweeted out another thing, kind of started another firestorm. Well, but this goes Jonathan back. Merritt and Kirsten Powers of CNN do a podcast. Uh, we recommend you go there. But they just recently did a podcast on the accusation that the church has been feminized um, by, you know, various people are making that accusation from various places. A particular one that has interest me is uh, Rod Dreyer. Rod Dreyer. Uh, argues that the feminization of the church is responsible for the decline of the church in America. You want to expound on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, so he's pulling on uh, a work from 1999, I believe, 1989, oh, that... The Feminization of the Church by Leon Podels. Um, yeah, and this is all in a, in a post on his uh, famous American conservative website called The Feminization and Decline of Religion. And by the way, his website, he's a columnist. The, he's a columnist at American Conservative. But, you know, it, it's not the first time this accusation has been levied against the church. Some of us hearken back to when Mark Driscoll was uh, making the same accusation that Jesus himself had been feminized and that this is uh, a problematic of the church. And, you know, so several of the accusations here are uh, female. uh, um, If you look at the statistics uh, in America, 60% of the people who go to church are females versus males. And Increasing feminine, uh, I should say, female clergy are on the rise. Female preachers are on the rise among Protestants because they can't under Catholics or Eastern Orthodox. But yes, right. And uh, recently, the president of Union Seminary, if I can get her quote, uh, recently said, um, "What we're seeing, I'm quoting her now, before our very eyes, is a dramatic shift." In my mind, it is as big as the Protestant Reformation um, because almost 60% of the students in seminaries preparing for ministry are now female as well. Are females taking over the church, Holzclaw? Maybe. Silence. No. Well, I'm just going to put Crickets. my cards out on the, on the table. Is I uh, My longing desire is not to, is to run away from an overly masculinized machismo uh, kind of Christianity of the conservatives who uh, kind of have this masculine stereotype, which I think is detrimental to men and to women. I also don't want to go all the way to the other side where we androgenize sexuality, where there's no difference between men and women, uh, which then defaults to, I think, a possible feminization of the church. So what do we, we talk about the feminization of the church. What are we talking about? Are we talking about certain mainline denominations? Are we talking about evangelicalism? Are we talking about, it? you know, the church in America is so diverse that it's, it's hard to know exactly. So, so within the spectrum of the Rod Dryers, and even though he makes a derogatory remark towards Mark Driscoll in this piece, Mark Driscoll as well, there is, uh, there is this complaint that, well, they see feminization as the more relational, therapeutic uh, personage. Uh, the male is the more violent, the more um, struggle, wants to fight personage that would be on your one side of the spectrum uh and by the way i think union stereotypes kind of feed into that would you agree i don't know Jung that well well a lot of the men's movement from um 
Oh, yeah, the men's new, the well, Jordan Peterson is kind of popularizing, but then you, you have a but little before bit of that, Richard 20 Roar, years ago, and you have what Iron John, I forget who wrote that. Oh um, man, I can't remember these but names. Yeah, the men's I, movement, but, it, the, but the, the famous the four, evangelical guy that sold like oh, a million John con- Eldridge, yeah, John, John Eldridge, Eldridge the they all played heart. into those kind of excessive divides between the male stereotype and the and the female stereotype. Right, and you're complaining against that. I I rightfully uh, agree that um, this. Uh, to view male stereotypes, to to in other words, to be truly male means I must struggle, I must fight, I must conquer, is a misread of of what a male is, and it's actually essentializing something which took place in a cultural divide, probably in medieval Europe somewhere. Mm. Uh, uh, out of the divide between males need to go to war and females need to stay home and take care of of relational issues in in, in the village, mm-hmm. and so I am so I'm against that as well. But you're also against androgenizing or making uh, leveling and and making one no division basically between female and male. Or even positively villainizing uh, masculinity or boyishness, rowdiness, or adventuresomeness in that only sensitivity and writing poetry and drawing within the lines is a mark of a humanized, civilized human being. So I'm against that too. And you do get that on certain perspectives is that boyishness is bad by yeah. definition. Yeah. Uh, so I'm against that too. So how do we, how do we bring... But, but back to Dreyer's post, he says, the decline in the West of religion is specifically pegged to the feminization of the church. And he says this is not a result of the women's movement of the last 100, 200 years, that it goes all the way back to pre-industrial to high Middle Ages when, and I don't have all the details, and he says there's a split between the mystical bride kind of aspect of Christ's devotion, um, where the church is the bride of Christ, and then you get the split of their crusader mentality um, of violence in the name of God, and that these two kind of uh, sides uh, used to be in union in Christianity, and he claims is still in union in the Eastern Orthodox tradition. And so at the end of his article, he basically says, Become Orthodox. Eastern Orthodox so, is the uh, way. But he says you have this war, warlike struggle, masculine side, and then you have this kind of uh, Christ devotion, uh, feminization, and that ever since, uh, and that Protestantism just kind of exacerbated all this. Uh, and so he he says the roots of this go, you know, back a thousand years. Okay, so here here's two real simple points I want to make to summarize everything you and I have just been talking about for the last five minutes on the feminization of the church. One. I am glad, to some extent, that we are discussing and assuming that men and women are different. Male and female are different. To the fact that we are now recognizing there is a feminine and there is a masculine, to me, is good. But, point number two, this way of defining male versus female both essentializes certain versions of what it means to be male and what it means to be female out of certain cultural constructs. It essentializes them and makes them this is what it is. But really, they are cultural problems. And in uh, they, they are cultural effects. So, just caveat, I want to argue gender, to some extent, is a cultural construct, not to be essentialized. And the worst thing we can do as Christians is essentialize gender constructs that are fraught with sin or the word that I most like, antagonism. And what is happening here is, in in my opinion, is we are in essence defining 
masculine in relation to feminine or male versus female or masculinization to feminization as an antagonism, masculine over against feminine. And that is uh, what I want to avoid. I want to avoid defining what a female is by what a, what a male is not and vice versa. And, and our friend Ross, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I pronounce it do that. You pronounce it. Dothit. Dothit. Says men are rejecting the church because it's overly feminized. Why? And, you know, the, the question here is because it's not masculine. And I just want to say there's an inherent antagonism. There's an inherent uh, conflict. Uh and, and this is what I believe the gospel overcomes. So that men and women do not come into relationship via, I am not you, I am working against you, I'm trying to overcome what you don't have. But it's men and women together in mutuality. And that's what I think you might be alluding to when you talk about the problem of male versus female and that it gets over-essentialized and at the same time gets vilified by certain parts of the culture. There's a gender conflict that I believe Jesus comes into our world through the church to reconcile. Absolutely. So there's like two or three things that I want to add to that. One is like we need a more robust theology of being created in the image of God, male and female. He created them, and what does that mean? Uh, a lot of times uh, a strong criticism of a, like an aggressive masculine um, kind of uh, stereotype means, well, we need to follow Jesus uh, in our masculinity, which I agree with, uh, but that usually just means pretending like we're not men. And, I, and so I'm not sure following G- we follow Jesus as men or we follow Jesus as women. We don't just follow Jesus as generic human beings. And so sometimes that's where we need a more robust idea of being created in God's image. Two is you asked me initially, do I think there's a problem or is the church being feminized? And I'd say, yes, and that's fine because... Revivals usually start with the feminization of the church. Historically, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, historically, going all the way back to Tertullian, to and then uh, revivals in the Middle Ages, to the Azusa Street revivals, uh, when the Spirit is at work to revive the church, the place of women is usually elevated. That their I gifts and their and their ability to minister alongside men is usually elevated, and so if men are saying, "Hey, women are being raised up, and their gifts are being used, and more women are welcome in pulpits and other places of ministry," they say, "Yeah, that happens when the spirit's at work." And so I always want to celebrate that. If you want to okay, call that so or lament the feminization of the church, then that's fine. The can other, I, I got to okay. interrupt you. I think this is very important because I I do not hear you saying church is being feminized and that's a good thing in the same way that they're saying church is being no, feminized. They're not. I know. I'm okay. That. So just to be clear, I think what you're saying is something different. I want to decry, uh, what Dreyer and others are saying. The feminization of the church is bad. We need a, in other words, we need a masculinized church. And that this is a mark of decline. Yeah. And, and they're saying over against the masculinization of the church. I believe that's an antagonism that is being stoked by Rod Dreyer and also a, um, or an ensconcing of the hierarchy of masculine over female. And that is not the gospel. The gospel is not hierarchy. The gospel is not antagonism. The gospel is mutuality. 
and reconciliation and renewal of all things. So what you're saying is somehow over against the masculinized church of Rod Dreyer, God is doing something new every time the church is in revival. It's women who have been dismissed or marginalized are not brought up to work alongside men in hierarchy. The whole leadership is leveled and mutualized. So we we together have men and women mutually in leadership in churches. And this is where revival comes. And I have many, many more arguments. Google David Fitch, Women in Ministry, and you'll see all my arguments of why if we would receive renewal and mission in the church, we need women together with men in ministry in the church. One more story. Do you remember that time you and I were at Life of the Vine? Now, you're still at Life of the Vine. I was sent from Life of the Vine to the church plant, Peace of Christ of Life of the Vine. But back when we were ministering together, um, we had someone come to us. And uh, like we always do, Matthew 18, they had a complaint that they thought our church was being, in essence, feminized. And what they did was they said, uh, you, uh, do you remember? You, give me a sign if you remember this. <laughs> All right, I'm still not this sure. This person argued that we had had three, no, I think four female preachers in a row, and this was proof that women. Um, were being installed, and this was a feminized church. And I looked at you, do you. I don't know if you remember this. And I said, "What are you doing, Holesclaw? This is not. <laughs> we are not installing a woman-run church. We want women and men together in ministry." So I argued that instead, of, you should never have two women in a row preach two Sundays in a row. You should have it, it, at least. On the third Sunday, you should have a man preach to make sure it's always not a balance, but it's a mutuality of men and women leading the teaching and preaching ministry of the church. Do you remember that episode? Are you sure one of those Sundays wasn't just when I had my long hair kind of uh You've never period. had long okay, hair. you're right. Uh, I it, I will just say I've never been in charge of the preaching schedule, so I'm uh, <laughs> I'm deflecting on that one. But I do That's remember bull. I do remember conversations Sorry, like folks, that. I shouldn't where, have said bull. Inappropriate. Where we want we want to always uh, model men and women ministering together, where neither one uh, seems to be in control or dominating. So yeah, that's absolutely true. All right. So, okay. Th- let so me that's just my hey. I just got one more example, and then I'll get you your your two points. I just want to say there's a very very large church, very very large church, twenty thousand member church, that has recently had some leadership problematics. Uh, I don't want to go into the details, but uh, aside from uh, the pastor being accused of immoral relations with women in some way, shape, or form, it's become clear to me that the accusations of the women or current women pastors or previous women pastors towards the senior pastor is the result of a distance in relationship between the senior pastor and these other women pastors and that these women pastors have been brought into the same kind of leadership, distanced leadership. So here's my point. Such and such senior pastor is a hierarchical male pastor. He rules over people in male ways. He distances himself from the people, not only in his congregation, but those who are underneath him and lead under his direction. And he invited women to become pastors alongside of him, but he trained them to be the same kind of pastors. Now notice what happens. They can't talk to each other about their conflicts. And 
uh, all hell breaks loose so that they have to go through the newspapers and other places, blog posts, etc., through their accusations towards the senior pastor. And I want to say that's what happens when we have this male hierarchical approach to ministry and we invite women, in essence, to come into ministry on the same terms. In other words, under the same male hierarchical syndromes. And we create this monster of leaders not being able to talk, engage, mutually submit one to another. We need men and women, not women becoming men. We need both men and women mutually in relationship, in leadership in a church. If you want a good uh, book or read about that, Carolyn Custis James book called Maelstrom, uh, but it's, it spells Maelstrom differently than the, it's M-A-L-E as in like yes. men, Brilliant. Maelstrom. Uh, it, it goes through the history of uh, patriarchy and kind of how those gender differences has come about as well as the hierarchy and all this type of things. Okay, so you it's had great. two more points on, on well, the feminization of the church. So the first one was like a theological or an ecclesiological observation that sometimes, that many times when the church is supposedly feminized, that it's not actually a mark of decline, it's a mark of renewal. So I want to stick with that. The but other not one, not to be confused with Rod Dreyer's account of feminization. You're right, talking about something right. different: yes, women and yes. men together in ministry. The other one is that he uh, usually this conversation seems to forget the major cultural revolutions that have happened since uh, the Industrial Revolution. Is that you have gender stereotypes being created over the last 400 years that were never in place for the history of humanity before that, when people lived on farms and in small villages. Yes, and you had the genders. Uh, men and women very much involved with child rearing and the emotional labor that goes along with child rearing. But with the Industrial Revolution, factories, men are leaving their homes, they're going into the cities uh, either daily or they're going monthly and they're, or weekly and they're only coming back on the weekends. The men are in the factories with a bunch of other men. The women are at home raising the children. So you get this huge divide of um, child labor or child rearing labor, of emotional labor. And this is where all of our Versus factory labor. Right. And this is where a lot of our gendered stereotypes come from. Okay, um, so can I so Amy can I Hall, uh, talks about this quite a bit. She's been investigating this over years. So then the other point is is now oh, but I don't want to let that point go. I just want to summarize. You cannot deny that gender is not a cultural shaping of roles in relation to the socioeconomic cultural dynamics placed upon people in their lives. And therefore, you talked about the industrial issue. Well, now we have a service economy. We have large amounts of our economy employed by, say, hospitals, by uh, drug companies, by um, various service organizations where you actually need relational skills. I'm not trying to stereotype women over against men relationally, but the fact is women have a lot of, a lot of that capital. And so not so much... Uh, weight is put on a male's uh, bodily strength to go and lift steel in a steel factory and have it molded into a, um, a part for an airplane. No, now we have uh, a whole different set of sociocultural dynamics. And so uh, male and female roles are changing. Now, the point is, though, uh, I always say... Still, there's all these antagonisms and all of these hierarchies that need to be overcome in these cultural shapes that Jesus has come to reshape gender and gender roles. And so, yes, they're cultural shapings, but Jesus affects that. That's what I teach in sexual ethics, by the way, Northern Seminary. If you want to come to Northern Seminary and have like a week of this, uh, we spend a whole week, maybe two weeks on gender and gender roles and how Christ redeems gender. Uh, but I think that's a great point. Well, that so you filled out the second half that I was going to say. It's like, so these gender roles were split in the industrial revolution, but now we're in a post-industrial culture 
where, like you said, we're moving much more into service industry, into emotional labor, into all those types of things. And so, you know, maybe uh, Rod Dreyer and um, and Ross uh, Dothit, maybe they're basically, maybe their actual argument is, is America's becoming feminized, like our whole post-industrial society is becoming feminized, in which case it's like, well, maybe, but that that's what we should be talking about rather than the decline of the By the way, Dothan is asking the question. Dreyer's making the making, conclusion. Okay. Uh, and then... Um, but having... can I? This, this is a good point for me just to summarize the three things that I teach about gender formation. Gender is um, that given the culture that we are engaged in, we're always going to be given gender roles, given the social cultural demands on men and women and family and so forth. But Jesus does three things. One, uh, our Christianity does three things. One overcomes the antagonisms. Jesus heals and reconciles the brokenness of gender roles and gender relations Two, Jesus uh, removes or obliterates hierarchies. Jesus through uh, the person through his person and work, God works for mutuality and gender relations. And then third, and I, I can, by the way, I can go on and on about how scripture shows this. Third, we are not Gnostics. The incarnation says that God comes to be embodied and the body means something. So our bodily strengths and our differences in bodies are not irrelevant to how gender is worked out. That's important, but also not to be overstressed. Those three things are what, what we believe as Christians in terms of gender roles. Yeah. So, the, so then the last thing is that I want to bring up as interesting or important is uh, Dreyer talks about the role of, of spiritual warfare in, uh, in masculine development. And he goes all the way back to the monastic movement and the martyrdom and says there used to be this kind of robust, a robust masculine aspect of Christianity of struggling against something of a warlike kind of mentality. And he says uh, that got lost uh, after the Crusades. That has been lost as part of a spiritual dynamic and that it would be good to recover that. Now, that is a point that I agree with and that there is uh, in the West, we have demythologized our world. So it's just us who live on this you know, world. And then there's God who is doing whatever God is doing, bringing his kingdom or however you want to talk about that. But this middle region that many miss- missiologists talk about, this middle region of spiritual entities has been totally forgotten. And so culturally, there's not this place um, of struggle or spiritual warfare. And I'd even say, and I, I'd, I'm going to ask some of my charismatic and Pentecostal people, like, does the charismatic church suffer from feminization um, in the same way? They have a very robust kind of understanding of spiritual warfare. Some would say too robust. Uh, but that's something I'm pressing into is how do we understand that and what might that mean for this conversation both the monastic as well as maybe the Pentecostal kind of understanding of the disciplining of the spirit, of the soul, of the self, in contrast to the assaults of the devil. Wow. Masterfully done. (laughs) I don't know about that, but this is, you know, I think the whole church in the West needs to uh, gather up again the understanding that we are in a spiritual battle and uh, and we need awareness and preparation and dedication to that task. Yes. So uh, I want to close our podcast. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse, uh, I'll start with 27. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ, with Christ, together in the presence of Christ. 
There is now neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ. If I could just... You said male nor female. Isn't it male and female? Okay. Well, this is what I want to say. It says neither male nor female in the ASV. But I think I think the ASV makes a mistake. Believe it or not. There's a wrong. Okay. Not wrong, but I think we need to nuance this translation. I would like to translate it like this. For all of you who are baptized in Christ have been clothed yourselves in the presence of Christ. There is no longer Jew versus Greek. No longer slave versus free man. No longer male versus female. For you are all together working things out according to his purposes in the one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I love the way Colossians, where Paul says very similar things in Colossians, but then at the end he says, Christ is all and in all. Yes. I love that. Christ is the one who is in and around and through and with all all these things. So so it's not that, uh, as I think sometimes certain uh, versions of the church want to obliterate difference, no, we hold on to our cultural differences, whether it be male, female, Jew, Greek, economically, uh, slave, or free. Uh, we hold on to uh, the histories and what we're dealing with, but it's not no longer defined by it's me against you. It's me and you, or me and you together in Christ, working out his perfect purposes for our lives together until he returns. Amen. So back to the question, is the church being feminized? We would say robustly, maybe. Depends, on, how say, it depends I, on what you mean no, by it. No, I would say robustly feminized and masculinized for the future of his kingdom. All right. Excellent. And I would say to every pastor out there, if you do not have a woman pastor and a ma- and a male pastor, a female and a male pastor, Working together, you are working with one arm tied behind your back. Your church is. You are not working into the fullness of the gospel. And you are not freeing. You are wor- You are maybe a well-managed church. Everybody's happy, but you're not going to engage the world for what he's doing in, in terms of his kingdom. You know, we did a podcast on that. I know we did. About two years ago, season one, I believe it's called uh, Church Planting Without Women is a Disaster. So go check it out. Maybe I'll I'll put it, I'll try to dig it up and put it in the show notes also. So this is uh, Jeff Holtzclaw. Wait a minute. Are we going to do any? uh, No, we're right at our time 30 minutes. I've talked to people. uh, They love that our. Okay, you want to do what you're reading? What are you reading? What am I reading? I'm reading a book by Ian Gilchrist called The Master and the Emissary. And it's a huge book. It's like 500 pages uh, all about the two hemispheres in the brain. Uh, the first half of the book is that I'm in, it's all about brain science and the two hemispheres of the brain and what they do. The second half of the, half of the book is going to be a whole cultural review of the West and how we've kind of uh, gone back and forth between right and left brain dominance as a civilization. Okay, this is so boring. Could super, you just get... No, it's so interesting. Okay, I'm reading a book, and uh, this is a book... Boring. Of, I'm reading a book called <laughs> Earthing the Gospel, Gerald Arbuckle, and uh, I'm reading it for this... Uh, is that where you walk around barefoot? 
<laughs> That's called earthing sometimes. Where you Did I interrupt you on your uh, book review? <laughs> Anyways, I just want to recommend this book. This book is a great exploration on how to engage in understanding your local culture, the power struggles, the rituals, the mythologies that are at work that you probably aren't even aware of, the symbols, the the um, the, the various uh, socioeconomic things that you might not be aware of that are oppressing people, and how you can enter in and, and, and become the presence of Christ there and proclaim the gospel, earthing the gospel, Gerald Arbuckle. I'm reading it for our book, cultural, or for our class, Cultural Hermeneutics. To Dan Sheffield, if you're listening, thanks for recommending this book. This book, even though 20 years old, is priceless. Awesome. Very good. So, Earthing the Gospel and the Master and the Emissary. Yeah, my doctoral students are saying, why didn't you read it when you made us read it uh, through some doctoral classes that you didn't teach? Well, I, I, I did quickly, but now I'm reading it for, for real, very carefully, and it's worth every minute. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, you could find Dave Fitch at Fitchist on Twitter. F-I-T-C-H-E-S-T. He's the most Fitch of all the Fitches. Uh, you can find me just Jeff Holsklaw at Jeff Holsklaw on Twitter. We're both on Facebook. Uh, so please check us out. And the Theology on Mission Lectureship is coming very soon. We'd love to have all have of you. Have a big breakfast come. for those who you, you sign up early. We have a big breakfast on the Friday morning of the lectures. That's always the highlight for me. We're capping it at just 100 people. So you got it. Always a highlight for me. We sit around and get to ask questions with the lecturer and the pastors and everybody else get to ask questions. And it's a lively time around some coffee, some eggs, some bacon. It's rich. Excellent. All right. So, again, this is the Theology of Mission Podcast signing out. Over and out. <laughs>